When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Heather Dreves. Heather, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Okay. As you said, my name's Heather. Um, last name's Dreves. I've been in the private money industry for over 18 years now. Currently, I'm located in a beautiful town called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, but we like to tell everybody it's terrible because um, lots of people are moving here. <laughs> <laughs> but we're located out of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, um, but we are a nationwide lender. So Coeur d'Alene is right next to Spokane, Washington at the top of Idaho, so northern Idaho specifically. Got it. And what got you into real estate in the beginning? You know, I kind of fell into it, to be honest. I had a friend that was in the private money industry, didn't really know much about that 20 years ago, and um, went to work for him and honestly was very eye-opening. I had, you know, I think like most people, um, you know, traditionally think that the only way that they can finance, you know, real estate transactions is through traditional sources and um, was quickly educated about the private money industry and the opportunity to use private financing to purchase real estate. So, saw the opportunity. My husband and I started fixing and flipping properties, have done several of those, and now currently are holding rentals um, in our portfolio. So, you know, that was kind of just my introduction to it, um, but also really found a passion um, to help my clients. And whether that was through helping them deploy their capital in private money transactions or actually even providing capital for their projects. Um, just kind of felt a, a big passion for that. And, you know, not only did I see the path to help create wealth for myself and my family, but saw the opportunity to help others do that. So that was kind of my, my entryway into this crazy industry. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, through your journey, of being on kind of like the, an entrepreneurial role in, in the real estate space. What's been the single most important action that you've taken on a daily basis, which has attributed most to your success? One, just taking action. I think a lot of people think about it, find the deals, never write an offer. Um, you know, every day I'm searching for deals. I think that's the hardest thing as a as a, a real estate investor and an entrepreneur is actually finding the deals. They're not gonna just fall in your lap. Um, and so we, we utilize different strategies, you know, obviously things online, but we also look at distressed sellers, you know, out-of-state owners. Uh, right now in our area, there's a big opportunity for distressed landlords. So really just daily looking for those deals. And then I think the next step is really taking the action, writing the offers. The money's the easy part of it, right? Um, the hardest part is really finding the deals out there. And so if you're not doing that on a daily basis, 
you're going to miss out. I mean, people don't just come knocking on your door with, with opportunities. You have to go out and, and put the work in to find those. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And when it comes to finding deals, I mean, people are pretty much coming to you for the capital and they already have the deal, right? So we do a little bit of everything. Like I mentioned, we're, we are a private lender. And so we, as an organization, not just me personally, but we do tons of marketing. You know, we are at different events, you know, providing information about our, our funding sources because we are a direct lender. Um, we do a lot of online marketing, Facebook, you know, all of those types of things, LinkedIn, podcast, YouTube. So what happens a lot of times is we do a lot of brokered business. So for any of you brokers that are on the podcast, there's opportunity to actually bring your deals to us and they can charge up to three origination points and, and broker loans to us. And then we're more of a retail where the borrower will come straight to us looking for funding for their, for their investment projects. So a little bit of both. I'd say the majority of the transactions that we close are brokered loans. So we have created these relationships with these brokers nationwide um, that sometimes work with more traditional mortgage lenders, banks, you know, um, real estate agents, and, and they know that, you know, we can get funding done for them outside of the box. We'll look at distressed properties and we can, we can base our value off of an after repair value. So a lot of times we're able to provide purchase transaction money and rehab and, and we can see the vision and, and, you know, the opportunity with an, a value add. So probably mostly brokers, but then also a lot of borrowers coming directly to us looking for funding. That makes sense. And that's probably one of the benefits of being a direct lender, right? Well, we make our own rules. So right. we're not you know, at the, the mercy of Wall Street money or, you know, more traditional sources. So we as, a, as an organization, there's a committee of us. Um, we are, there's three of us fund managers. So not only do, are we a direct lender, but we raise that capital. So we manage those funds that the capital's in. That is the way that we are a direct lender. And so we make the decisions on those. We have, you know, specific guidelines um, and we also have the opportunity and, and the ability to make decisions to move forward with deals that may come to lender committee that we see that are, you know, somewhat outside of the box. But if it's a good deal for us um, and we feel like we're putting the borrower in a good, good situation, then we're going to close that transaction for them. Sure. And I also saw on your website, there's some opportunities to invest in notes or some real estate backed funds for accredited and non-accredited investors. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about those opportunities as well. Yeah. So when I joined the company over 10 years ago, um, I joked that I dialed for dollars. So my loan officers would bring deals in, we'd underwrite them. And it was my job to get on the phone and go through my list of investors and, and find someone to fund the deal. And it worked. And there's a lot of clients out there that essentially like to buy notes, but it's clunky. You know, on, on one half of the transaction, you've got a broker and a borrower that are anxious to close and, and a timeline. You know, they've got a purchase and sale that might be expiring. But on the other side of it, I've got an investor that's got the capital, but I'm trying to coordinate him getting his money in. Sometimes they're using self-directed accounts. So it just was this very clunky process and stressful. So after about a year, we started exploring opening funds as a tool for us to service our borrowers and our brokers, get their deals closed quickly, providing you know it, it met our guidelines. And then on the flip side of it, my clients weren't so rushed. They could take their time, do their due diligence, decide if they wanted to fund it. And so the funds gave us the ability to close quick. 
and then we also had a lot of clients that weren't as risk adverse and didn't want to buy notes. You know, they like they like an investment that is a real estate backed asset. You know, they they love that, but they didn't like some of the risks that came along with buying notes, foreclosing potentially, people not paying. And so the funds were a really nice option for them. So we have currently have two funds. The first fund is for accredited investors only with a $50,000 buy-in. Average historical yields have been 10 to 11%. It's just extremely passive. They can park their money. A lot of them use self-directed IRA accounts and 401ks. Um, and it's just a way for them to, to grow those accounts outside of your more traditional sources. And then about four years ago, that fund has been around eight years. And about four years ago, we opened up our first Regulation A-plus fund. And really all that means is that unaccredited investors can go into it. They didn't have to prove they had a million dollars in assets or anything like that. And so we opened that up because we also, we have a passion for creating wealth through real estate. And we don't believe that just high net worth individuals should be the only ones that can do that. And so we opened this fund up, um, which gives anybody the ability to invest. And we started with a really low minimum of $1,000 because we also believe that you're not going to create wealth if you don't start doing it. And it shouldn't be once you've got 100000 you know, it shouldn't be based off the dollars you can invest. We really wanted everybody to be able to obtain that. And so that fund has a $1,000 minimum investment and average historical yields in that are 8 to 9%. So again, just a another vehicle, and you're probably the same way, um, along with a lot of people in this audience, have multiple streams of income. Be out buying the real estate, be brokering, be investing passively, you know, have all these different tools um, to really create a path for financial freedom for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And it's definitely important to have multiple streams of income. But once you then are beginning to accumulate that, you got to beat inflation. I mean, inflation is just that, I mean, and it's at all time highs in real estate, you know, exactly, exactly. Real estate where asset price inflation has historically beat consumer price inflation over the years. So yeah, definitely a a phenomenal hedge against inflation and and where you want to be. So that's great to know. Uh, You looks like you have a lot of creative uh, financing opportunities as well as creative investing opportunities for, for borrowers and investors alike. So uh, really interesting products there. And, you know, I'm curious, just, I would love to know when you're looking at deals, you mentioned that you have, you know, in-house underwriting that looks at it and things like that. You know, what's your process for evaluating what to say no to? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's two-sided. I think half of it is the asset. And I think that, you know, private money in the past has gotten a bad rap for being hard money and it's only based off the asset. That's not necessarily true. I, I can't stand when people call it hard money. It's private money. And I think the asset is important, you know, because at the end of the day, the risk is you might take that property back as a lender, you know, and, and whether you're a direct lender like me or you're buying notes, you better understand exactly what you're lending against and be comfortable taking it back because that's the risk. If somebody doesn't make their payments, you're going to be foreclosing on them. So we look at the asset. We want to know what the as-is value is and what the after-repair value is. And and if we're basing it off of an after-repair value, we want to know that there's enough money in the rehab budget to get the project done. And then we also control those rehab funds. So we hold those funds back. We make sure that we help keep the borrower on track with the project. Um, and then if we're comfortable with the asset, then we look at the borrower. You know, we do not have minimum credit scores. 
which people are like, that is insane. Well, the reality is if they've got poor, really poor credit, they typically self-select because they're probably in an act of bankruptcy or an act of foreclosure or have, you know, currently uh, current accounts that aren't being paid current. So we don't look at a minimum credit score. We look at, at overall credit. You know, if someone had challenges in the past, where are they at now? Have they learn from their mistakes? Are they back on the right track? We look at financials. We want to see that they can service the debt, you know, to go lend somebody money and charge them a bunch of origination points just to make us money, knowing that we're not putting them in a good financial situation is not the kind of lender we are. We pride ourselves on the fact that we want the borrower to be successful and we want the lender to get paid back. So, really digging into the borrower's financial situation and background and credit, we're going to look at that. You know, do they have experience? You know, if they've got low bank statements, do they have experience? Have they done this before? Have they successfully flipped a house? You know, I call it storybook lending. What's the story? If the story Mm -hmm. makes sense and the values in the asset, we're going to get the deal closed is the reality. Makes sense. And it makes a more holistic picture to look at it that way rather than needing it to check all the boxes of a conforming loan or just focusing on, oh, you didn't pass the credit score, but there's so many other factors that would make this, you know, an A plus deal. So yeah, I really, that's a, a great way to look at it, I think. And, and I think it also hedges your bet even more to be more open and look at the whole picture rather than just these predefined boxes. Yeah. We just had lender committee two hours ago and it was for a loan to value exception. The the loan officer wanted us to give, lend this person more money, but had no information on the borrower. Has he done this before? What's his experience? What's his financial situation? And quite honestly, we didn't say no. And we didn't say yes, because we didn't have enough information because A lot of times, some of the hair on the file can be overlooked if there's other things that compensate for it. And so, again, it kind of just bodes back to the fact that we look at the whole picture. We want to know what the story is. I I don't have a problem making exceptions for a borrower that's experienced, has proven track record, has good financials, has strong credit. You know, so we really have to have the whole story. Um, And so... I feel like we're very creative here. I mean, if we're going to, if someone's going to get a deal done, it's going to be us, but it has to make sense for both the borrower and for us as the lender. Yep. That makes total sense. And, you know, when it comes to the industry and where things are heading, I would love to get your projections. I mean, you you have a unique ability to see all these deals coming your way. And a lot of them are probably off-market rehabs, um, things that are being wholesaled and flipped. And depending on either the volume or you know the price point or the availability of these types of deals, you might have uh, more of an insight into where things are at now and where they're going as opposed to someone only focusing on the retail side of the business. So I'd love to hear your insights on, on where you think things are going in, in the near future. Yeah, well, with rates going up, um, the affordability uh, for buyers to buy these projects is changing. You know, someone that may have been approved for a $450,000 house a month ago. We have someone, an employee here that just got reassessed. He was pre-approved and now he's only approved for like 410 because of rates going up. So I think that although markets are high and prices are high right now, I think you're going to see that level off because I think 
you know, people that were qualified for higher dollars six months ago, that is going to change. And they're, you know, you're, you're not going to see as many multiple offers on deals and, you know, people bidding mm-hmm. purchase prices up like they were. I mean, it's been crazy. I don't personally think values are going to drop that much. I think they're going to stabilize. We still see a ton of opportunity. I think you're going to see more opportunity for real estate investors to buy real estate because foreclosures have been lifted. Where we are currently, eviction moratoriums have been lifted. So you're going to start to see some of that inventory hit the market. I still think it's going to be priced a little high, but honestly, there's still opportunity because I think there's a huge rental opportunity. You know, Historically for us, our borrowers and even us as an organization have really promoted the fix and flip strategy. I think you're going to see people holding those properties longer, you know, and renting them because rents are going up and investors can cash flow those. I mean, they talk about when 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 markets drop, investors become landlords and we're already starting to see that. So we currently have added a 30-year rental loan to our products that we offer because we see opportunity to refinance a lot of our clients, right? People that fixed and flipped and bought houses 12 months ago are now coming back saying, well, I changed my mind. I think I'm actually going to rent it. It's got such great cash flow. So I just, I think exit strategies are going to change, obviously with interest rates going up for, you know, owner occupancy. I think sales are going to slow down a little bit. And I don't think you're going to see the crazy overbidding, but I still, we feel very bullish about the market. We don't see... You know, you know, we just feel like you have to pivot as an investor and as an entrepreneur, you have to be able to change with the markets. And that's something that we teach our clients is be prepared. You know, you you may have this exit strategy, but markets change like they have a backup plan. So we, we feel bullish on the market. I don't personally think, you know, that you're going to see a whole ton of change. I just think strategies are going to change. So that's kind of what we've been seeing, um, whether that's local or nationwide. You know, we've we've been seeing that with our borrowers and then the assets that we buy locally. We're seeing that right now. But big rental market, which also is a great market for multifamily. We just bought a 22 unit apartment complex in Spokane, which we don't typically buy that big as far as units go. But huge opportunity. It was a tired you know, property owner that had owned it 20 years and exhausted their depreciation benefits and they wanted to get out. So there was opportunity there. So just more opportunity, but being prepared to take action on it too. Right. And having multiple exit strategies, being willing to pivot with the market. Yeah. Yeah. No, great principles there and great, you know, short-term prediction on, on what's to come. I agree that the reduction of buyers bidding on these houses should stabilize the market, but there's not this tremendous amount of, of uh, subprime debt that's ready to pop like the 2008 recession. Everyone's kind of gun shy from 10, 12 years ago because of how much destruction happened. But that was a 30 year problem that came to fruition that we don't have today. And there's this massive housing shortage and affordable housing shortage now today that's not going away in the near future. So despite the fact that, you know, supply might come back up a little bit and the buyer demand might drop a little bit, that doesn't mean house prices are going to fall off a cliff. I agree a hundred percent that, you know, values will probably level and maintain and then there will be more normalized appreciation over this next year. But I don't have a crystal ball. I just think that (laughs) that's what we're looking at. (laughs) So, you know, I'm curious when you are 
a little bit overwhelmed or unfocused, you know, kind of just like in your day to day, your, your entrepreneurial habits, you know, do you have questions that you ask yourself to focus back in and get back on track? Is there any process that you go through? Yeah, this is a great week to be asking me that because it's been a crazy week. We're trying to fund that 22 unit apartment complex in a few days. And so, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I have to refocus and ask myself if, am I doing whatever I'm doing at that time that I'm feeling anxious and overwhelmed by, is it actually moving the needle forward? And if it's not, you know, if my end goal is to get the 22 unit apartment complex funded this week for over $3 million, if the activities that I'm doing at the time that make me feel like that are not moving me towards that end goal, then I don't need to be doing it or I need to delegate it. And that's hard for me. Delegation is something I'm working on. You know, when you are an entrepreneur and you start um, with a company and you're small and now you're over 100 employees, it's it's hard to let things go. Um, but really, really just focusing, like, is the activity I'm doing right now really getting me to the end goal? And if it's not, I shouldn't be doing it. And, you know, sometimes just taking a step outside and like refocusing, whether that go to, you know, go exercise, whatever that is, but just keeping my mind clear, because I think we're all very busy, especially as entrepreneurs, you're going 27 different directions. And I've had to learn to really trust my team too, and say, honestly, sometimes my teammates could do things better than I'm doing it. So, you know, it's about the who not the how. And I've tried to surround myself with a bunch of who's people that can do it better than me and realize that some of those types of things I need to let go. Yep. Great point. And I'm sure through that journey, you also had some failures and learning lessons that set you up for later success. So I'm curious if you have a favorite failure of yours. Oh man, where do you start? You know, I think through through failure probably is is just some of the deals that we initially started investing in when we first came here, not one specifically, but one of the things you have to realize as an entrepreneur and as a real estate investor, they're not all going to be wins, right? You know, I, I used to get really hung up, oh, we only made, you know, 2% on this deal. You know, our target is 20% on a transaction, um, not a lending transaction, but an actual purchase of a real estate asset but they're not all going to be wins and you have to look at it as an overall, you know, return on investment. What did we make this year? Maybe we did, you know, 50 transactions and five of them were under 5%, but what's our blended return? Um, you know, and we've had some, we, we had two houses in Spokane that we took the roof off of literally and thought we were going to add square footage. We over rehabbed them. And we literally broke even. We didn't make a penny on them. And they took us 10 months to do. And we quickly learned that we were going to stay in the affordable housing market space. We were not going to do high-end rehabs. Um, you don't, you know, at least for us, we weren't making as much and weren't as profitable on them as we were on the affordable housing. We get in, we make them look nice enough, and we sell them. And we're in and out of them much quicker. And they're much more profitable. So that would probably be the biggest mistake that sticks out to me is over rehabbing those two projects that took us way too long and literally broke even on them. And, you know, and it took almost 12 months. Yep. That's a, another principle that is a phenomenal one to really just make sure you, you listen to what Heather just said. I was reading uh, seven figure flipping by Bill Allen. Great book. And uh, he talks about, you know, this, fail that he had renovating and flipping this this luxury uh, in in Pensacola Florida it was this luxury beachfront place 
they did all this work to it and he factored in that it was right on the train tracks but he didn't factor in just how much that would affect and then multiply because it's a luxury listing so there's even less buyers for that so they had to drop it so much more that he ended up pretty much doing the deal and losing 80 grand and it's like yeah instead of just staying in his lane of the median house price and and around that to do quick flips and and get it back to market as soon as possible you know reduce the carrying costs and and just like there's so much that goes into it when you get into the luxury stuff that i yeah i I really just hope that my listeners that are interested in flipping (laughs) hear what heather just said because that's it's so attractive to do the luxury but and stay in your lane. Like I, we talk mm-hmm. about that all the time here. We, so one of the things that we only focus on is under the FHA cap. So if we're going to lend money, we don't lend on properties that are going to sell for over the FHA cap, because once you get over the FHA cap, your pool of buyers is so much less. Um, and then the houses that we buy, we don't buy houses. We're, we're in the affordable housing market. You know, our average house that we sell in Spokane right now is probably 280. And again, it's under the FHA cap because once you get above that, the database of people that can actually buy those luxury homes is just so much less. And it's not to say that there's not opportunity, but that's not our expertise. That's not who we are. We understand the affordable housing market space. We get in, we put new appliances in them. We make them look very nice, fix any big issues, and we sell them. And we're in and out of them and, you know, three to four months. Our return on investment is so much higher than, you know, buying those luxury homes, taking 10 to 12 months, if that, to rehab them and sell them. So we stay in our lane. That's just not who we are. We'll let the other guys do that. <laughs> We're not right. experts at that. Right. Yeah. And you will preserve more capital and uh, have more growth by staying in your own lane. So. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? Um, I probably just want to expand upon the fact that, I mean, we are a very broad company, but regardless of, you know, if you're a broker or a borrower looking for resources, um, as far as funding goes, you can always visit our website at Kogo Capital. It's C-O-G-O Capital. And then if you're just that passive investor, which I have a lot of people that are They'll call me up. Hey, I tried to fix and flip. That was way too much work. I don't want to deal with that. You know, there's opportunity with us also to passively invest and deploy your capital. We work with lots of people with self-directed IRAs and 401ks that invest in our fund, and they just rather park it, reap the benefits of us doing all the heavy lifting for them. So, you know, I think there's there's opportunity from multiple sides. Um, you can get more information about just the passive investing at our website, Secured Investment Corp. But we'd love to talk with them. You know, we're, we're here to help people create wealth and, and go along that journey and that path to, you know, whether that's actively as an investor or just passively as just someone deploying capital. You know, we'd love to help with that. Awesome. And I'll definitely link below to both the website so that my listeners can contact you. Mm-hmm. Heather Dreves, she is doing some awesome things. And not only you know is she in the Coeur d'Alene, Idaho area, but she actually services nationwide and helps a lot of different borrowers and investors. So reach out to her if you're interested in anything that you heard on today's podcast. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free Ultimate Real Estate Goal Setting Framework. The link is in the description of the show. 
and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.